Brainwave number one. If Internet Explorer is brave enough to ask to be your preferred browser, you should be brave enough to apply for that job. Welcome back to the Cognitio podcast. I'm Lily and I'm here with my new co-host, Chloe. Hello, I'm Chloe. Nice to meet you, everyone. Um, I will be enjoying the privilege of being Lily's co-host for Cognitio Podcast. So, Chloe, what's going on with you? Maybe we should tell everyone, since it's been a while, we should tell everyone what we do. backstory. Exactly. So, Lily and I had kind of a serendipitous meeting and it blossomed into a beautiful friendship. Um, We were thrown together for our honours project um, back in 2017. Yep. and, yeah, we're just spending so much time together during that research project has just really made us realise that we think alike and enjoy each other's company and... Merged into... Merged into <laughs> the same person. We're currently actually wearing the same dress um, by accident. And this yep. happens... This has happened about... Mm, Hundreds of times. Maybe every second time we hang out, yep. we're wearing this very, very similar outfit. Yeah. Um, Definitely yeah. spent a lot of time together in the lab, in the office. Um, yeah, but <laughs> Chloe no longer works with me, sadly. Um, so Lily decided to take the path of the PhD, and I decided to go with the elusive industry work <laughs> that is presented to you after a biological degree, which is... Dun, dun, dun! Nothing. <laughs> so... I'm currently at a crossroads trying to think of where to go next. I know that I don't want to continue into research. It wasn't for me. Um, and yeah, currently looking for work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm still PhDing. Um, so from the last episode, I have now got my candidacy approved, <laughs> which was very exciting. It was a long time coming, um, and that was great. And a paper, or have we already? Yeah, I've had. That? Yeah, I've had a paper. I've had a first author paper. Um, I've had a couple papers submitted as well, but nothing has come to fruition for any of them yet. But hopefully soon. Um, hopefully, reviewer three, the elusive reviewer three. It's always reviewer three. It's always, it's always got three. some obscure issue that you can yeah. never quite get right. I think they always order it when they give you the stuff back. Like reviewer one and two are nice, and then they just throw the curveball. Re- yeah. They just don't do the sandwich technique. No, at they don't. All. No, they really um, don't. So yeah, hopefully reviewer three won't throw the papers too much. <laughs> so my main project will start next year, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. So basically, you've kind of covered the first hurdles in terms of getting your PhD started. Yeah. So when you were writing your candidacy and you know thinking about the next four years, did you ever get that feeling where? you kind of just feel so ill-equipped for what's happening. Because I don't know if it's just me, but I'm just constantly thinking, hang on, do I actually know what I'm doing most of the time? Every single day. (laughs) Well, this is actually a phenomenon called the imposter syndrome. Now, this isn't a mental illness or hallucination. It's kind of just an actual mental experience, if you will, to the outside world and your successes and believing that you don't actually have the skills and talent to be where you are and you're just there by luck. And apparently, actually 70% of people in the US 
suffer from imposter syndrome, which is actually pretty horrific. So 70% of the population are actually thinking that they're not good enough to be where they are. Which, quite frankly, when you're looking at these people in these successful roles, doesn't make sense. Yeah, and that's pr primarily women in my experience as well. And studies have found that it's mainly in high-achieving women. That was where it's actually first been observed. Um, and I think that's probably just because of the way that women have been framed in their lives. Um, I don't know about you, but being a woman in science is always like a daunting prospect for me. I think it's also, I don't know, something to do with upbringing. Now, this could be completely stereotypical. Um, I didn't really experience this as a girl uh, growing up, but... Boys are kind of always encouraged to be risk takers and go and, you know, scratch your knee and rub some dirt on it and go and take the world by its balls, you know, just go for it. But girls kind of have the tendency to, you know, tread more lightly and think about your actions more. I don't know. And I think that's maybe evolved into us thinking that once we actually get to somewhere or take a risk, we're not equipped to deal with it, so we overthink it once we're there. What was your experience growing up as a girl in that <laughs> sense? <laughs> well, I mean, I remember uh, I had a crush on a boy, as you do. and As you do. As you do. The, these things happen from and time to time. It does. And I remember I told him I wanted to be a mechanical engineer, which in hindsight was a terrible, terrible <laughs> idea. And he told me that girls can't do that. Um, <coughs> which... Can I make a fart noise now? You may make a fart noise. Uh, so I think when I disapprove of something, I should be really immature and start making fart noise. I think that's <laughs> the only response you can make. There's no, there's no words for it. Uh, no. Um, and obviously he was very ill-informed and that is not the situation. But that was kind of how, not how I was raised by my parents, but how like I kind of felt growing up was like science wasn't really for me, ironically. Because I was like, that's... I'm, I'm not good enough to be a scientist and then I became a scientist and who knows how that happened. So it's kind of we're placing more value on what other people think about how we should behave and succeed and that's kind of led to this sensation of when you do actually succeed that you're not meant to be there. Yeah. And that's kind of the crux of the imposter cycle. Now, the imposter syndrome is kind of described in six phases by scientists. Now, there was a, a research paper kind of recently published by, um, now I'm going to say this incorrectly, but it was Jawan Sakuku and James Alexander. And they've kind of just done a really nice review in the um, Journal of Behavioral Neuroscience about the imposter syndrome and kind of how it has evolved into what it is today. So the first kind of part of the imposter syndrome is known as the imposter cycle. And this is basically a negative feedback loop that encourages someone that is already a bit insecure to become more insecure. Did you want to kind of describe that diagram that is so nicely placed in the journal article, Lily? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> she says, presenting it to me now. <laughs> um, so it, I mean, it does look pretty much like my internal monologue in these things. So um, at the top we have anxiety, self-worry and doubt. Um, 
which is very much prevalent in my work. Um, and that leads to over-preparation as well as procrastination. I definitely think I'm an over-preparer rather than a procrastinator personally. Yeah, I think we're both over-preparers. Yeah. So that over-preparation means that we put so much effort into a task that then, for example, for an assignment, we have such a fear surrounding the assignment that we're going to fail it that we just pull like our whole heart and soul into the assignment. Then we get back... A 98% mark. And now that mark is not attributed to our pure genius and skill. It's just attributed to the sheer amount of effort that we put in. And so we kind of attribute our intelligence as not talent, but rather just all of that time has got to lead to somewhere. And the other part of the spectrum is procrastination, where someone just kind of leave something to the last minute and then by some fluke of genius they manage to create an essay in an hour and it gets a pretty decent mark, say 80%. And again, that person then attributes that success to sheer luck. And so that's the first stage of the cycle. And then that kind of feeling of relief is positive feedback going back into that anxiety and self-doubt and all that fun stuff. All that great, delicious <laughs> mental... The, the mental struggle that is feeling like <laughs> you don't belong there. So that basically ends up giving the person a perceived sense of fraud. That what they've actually achieved is not because of their skills, it's because of some circumstance that has made them lucky somehow. But I think as well, like, part of this is you, you feel like you need to be special. Like, I don't know, you always kind of feel like... Mm if you're not extraordinarily amazing, then you're not, you're good, not good at all. <laughs> Which isn't true, because not, no like, not everyone can be special, but we can all do well. Mm. I feel like that's part of the, the one part of the imposter cycle that I really, really identify with, because I think it might be a millennial issue with these overbearing parents being, my child is so special and unique, you're going to be do great things. And I think my mum really did that to me. And so when I wasn't the best at something in high school, I felt completely shite. Like if I wasn't, you know, the top of the class, I was like, well, that actually isn't good enough. I've got to do better, which is a really unhealthy way of thinking because when you're thrown into some th somewhere like university where you're surrounded by brilliant, amazing people that you should be inspired by, it becomes really unhealthy because you've been gr brought up thinking that you have to be the best, which is just not realistic. You, there's always going to be someone that is better at what you do. And I think it's perpetrated by this idea of like having a life's passion as well, because then if you have like one passion in your life, you need to be extraordinary at it. Yeah. So then you just kind of think, oh, if I'm not like absolutely like the best at this one thing in my life, then I'm just a terrible, terrible 100%. person. And then if you can't see that you're not even that good at it when you actually are, yeah. then it's like, what's even the point? And that's where that positive reinforcement from the outside world just becomes such a big part of people meant like thinking process when it comes to this if they're not like told that what you're doing is incredible then they'll just kind of stop doing it because they've been I don't know wound up in a way that they can't do anything without positive reinforcement and then I think as well like another big part of it is a fear of failure so I know this is particularly big for me 
but I am absolutely petrified <laughs> of failure yeah. to the point where it is crippling and I and I really will just completely freeze. Um, and just not try at all. No, and if I get one rejection, like if I get like a rejection from a scholarship or anything like that, like oh, I am wrecked. And I just sit um, when I found out I didn't get a, one of the scholarships I applied for last year, I was on a bus when I found out, and I just oh. openly wept on public <laughs> transport, went to a, a restaurant for dinner, and was sitting at my table, sobbing over my pizza. I cannot deal with <laughs> failure, and I'm so scared of it. <laughs> I think that's something that we kind of all need to work on, is how to deal with failure, because, I, I mean, I'm the same. I applied for medicine about two, three years ago. I didn't even really know that that's what I wanted to do. I just kind of liked the idea of a stable job. <laughs> so I applied anyway, and then find out, found out that I didn't get in, and it was just so insulting. Like, why? And that, that failure and that feeling of, I don't know, not being good enough for something was just really, really distressing. And that's normal. It's normal to fear failure, but with some with it, with imposter syndrome, it just becomes amplified and unhealthy. And it just reinforces everything, you know, you feel <laughs> like you're a fraud. Maybe you're not, maybe if you get like some validation, maybe you won't be. And then you are, because you failed. <laughs> <laughs> you're a failure, Susan. <laughs> but anyway, the good thing to note about all of this unpleasant things that we've been talking about is that the imposter syndrome isn't a permanent mental illness. So although it can lead to kind of debilitating conditions like anxiety and depression, there are ways that you can overcome it because it is a temporary state of thinking. So how can we get over this, Lily? What, what are some strategies that we can do? Because we're both kind of not in a good place to give each other advice. <laughs> not all the rest of the world, but we're going to try. We're going to try. Because that's what achievers do. <laughs> Well, I think one of the main things you can do is just really sit yourself down and like write a list of what you have actually achieved. Like if you sit and think about it, like it's really easy to brush over your successes. But I think if you sit down and you actually make a physical list on a piece of paper with a pen, which is shocking to some people, <laughs> but like you write down like, you know, you did this and you did that, even if it's little things like, you know, you got a good result from this experiment or something. Good. Job. And you just see it written down. Like, I've done that before, and I found that that's really helped. And in a sense, writing your resume is a really constructive process, because as you all know that I said before, I'm in the process of looking for work. So I've, you know, spent a lot of time polishing my resume, um, just going over all the list of things that I've done in my experience. Um, and I recently applied for a job that I thought, oh, I won't get this. This is definitely a little bit out of my league. And I got called in for an interview. Interview is in two weeks, but I'm completely bricking it because I feel like I have no idea what to do in the interview because it's not in a field that I'm familiar with and although I probably have the skills to do it I just am doubting myself completely so when I got the call for the interview I was like yeah definitely and then I just had a complete breakdown because I was like no I, I can't do the interview I'm gonna make a fool of myself I don't know what I'm doing but then I kind of went back over my resume and thought like what are they seeing what do they think that I can give them and I actually like, hang on, I can, I can help these people. So I think, yeah, going over a list, no matter how many times, rereading things, 
just giving yourself a good old pat on the back is really, really important. <laughs> it is. And I think that when I was applying for scholarships, they have lots of questions where they're like, oh, what are your greatest strengths? You know, what are your, like, what have you overcome and in your life? it's really painful. Like, no one likes to talk mm, about exactly. themselves. But you have to, to get over it. But once you've written it down and it's sitting on a piece of paper, you kind of get this feeling, even like me, who has a terrible imposter syndrome, of being like, huh, I actually have accomplished some things and I have a few strengths. Exactly. And, you know, and I almost feel like they should make it mandatory as a human being where every six months you sit down and you have to write a paragraph about the why you're great. The annual review of myself. <laughs> exactly. Like some, some person is in charge of every single person and we just enforce this rule that you have to sit down like once or twice a year and just go, I, I'm Hang doing on. all right. You're doing okay. You're normal. You're healthy. <laughs> you're good. Like even if you feel, you know, that you're a fraud sometimes you're still doing a good job. Exactly. And when you're kind of in that moment of thinking that you're a fraud or getting that feeling of you're not good enough for something that you probably are, acknowledge that and acknowledge it that other people experience this almost just as much as you do probably. And acknowledge that the failure that you might come across is a natural part of the process. And if you don't risk to go for that failure, you're never going to achieve anything. So to conclude, if Internet Explorer is brave enough to ask to be your preferred browser, you should be brave enough to apply for that job. You should be brave enough to go to that interview. You should be brave enough to ace this PhD. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been really fun to record the first episode back. Yes, um, I'm after very a, much looking forward to the next one. Yes, after and... the six-month hiatus. <laughs> and it's very nice to have Chloe here as well. I hope you guys um, have enjoyed this little episode. Um, if you have any feedback or you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can tweet us at Cognitio Podcast. We're very active on Twitter. We will reply. Um, <laughs> Trust it's our me. way of procrastinating. It, it's on my phone. If anything comes through, I'm like, oh, I don't have to do work. <laughs> I don't have to risk failure. <laughs> I don't have to risk failure. I can respond to someone Whoa. instead and feel special. <laughs> it really does help us, guys. Thanks. It really does. All the feedback. Um, and yeah, we will talk to you next time. See ya. See ya.